I've known James for several years and had the first opportunity to go to Honduras with one child and be a part and explore this program. And so I'm just so glad to see what God is doing through you in Ethiopia, through this ministry. They are the best at what they do and make a huge impact in these communities and in these kids' lives. So uh, thank you. Glad you're here. Um, so we've been in a series for the last uh, three weeks now. Um, this is the fourth week um, of our series, and we'll wrap it up next week. And our heart and our desire is been, begin to cast a vision or lay out a roadmap around how do we follow Jesus in a way that deeply forms us more like him. That, that in, in so many ways that we've lost sight of what does it really mean? What does it look like to follow Jesus? And so we've laid out the idea that to follow Jesus is to apprentice ourselves to him around three aims, three um, uh, directives that we're organizing and reordering our lives around. That's to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus does. And so today we're going to be talking what it looks like in the title of our sermon is to become like him or becoming like him. You know, if I'm honest, I would love to just wake up in the morning one day and be a better person. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, you have a fight with your wife and, and, and your roommate or, or your coworker, or you respond to your kids in a way that like you just you know, you feel horrible about, and you're like, man, I know that's not who I am, and I'm just, you know, I'm not going to be that anymore. I'm not going to be short-tempered. I'm not going to be, you know, uh, I'm not going to speak harshly anymore, and, and then I just go to bed, and I wake up the, mor- the next morning, and I'm a nicer, better person. I wish it worked that way. Wouldn't it be nice if it worked that way? I recently read in a book, um, uh, and it said, there is no accidental saints. And I love that. There's no accidental saints. No one just wakes up in the morning and voila, 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 whatever. Uh, they are a saint. They wake up in the morning like, man, all of a sudden, you know, you, you just, you, you're kind of like Mother Teresa or Mr. Rogers. No, he's not officially a saint, but I'm pretty sure he's a saint. You know, you wake up in the morning and all of a sudden you're just, you're kinder and you're less self, self-focused and you're more generous and you have a natural um, love for your enemy and those that, that ha- seek to harm you. Like all of a sudden just wake up in the morning and magically you're a saint. Wouldn't that be nice? But that's not how it works. See, there's no accidental saints. See, it is possible for us to become more like Christ. But it doesn't just happen magically in our lives. We've said it in multiple different ways, and not to sound redundant, but I think it is a major theme of this series, is we are all being formed by something. We are all being formed by something. You are being formed right now. You have been formed, and you will be formed. Within Christianity, uh, the term spiritual formation has grain popularity in the last couple years, but the reality is spiritual formation is not a Christian thing. You have been formed by your family, by your story, by your experience, by your successes even. You've been formed by media and culture, 
In Colorado, I know we don't like this. We like to think, no, I'm an island amongst, uh, among, uh, an island by myself. What is the saying? I don't even know what the saying is. Um, you know, we like to be these independent uh, individuals that, that stand alone. And we like to think that we're not being shaped or formed by anything else. But the reality is you have been formed, you will be formed, and you are being formed. The question isn't, will you be formed? but what's forming you? What's shaping you and who are you becoming? We're all becoming something. Either the most glorious versions of ourselves or the most distorted. See, formation happens naturally. But forming into the person of Jesus, into a person of love, into a person that looks like Christ takes great intentionality. Central in the Gospels, I believe, is the good news, not that we're just saved, but that Christ came that we would be redeemed, that we would be restored, that we would experience transformation. We read in 2 Corinthians 3.18, this is going to be one of our primary texts this morning. It says, we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed in his image with ever-creasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. And then Galatians 4.19, Paul is writing to the Galatians and he said, the church in Galatia, and he says this, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I think it's so easy to forget that Christ didn't come just to save us. He came to redeem and restore you, to bring out the most redemptive version of who he created you to be. So the Greek word here in this passage, starting with the passage in Galatians 4, is mofo, not the bad word. Um, I knew when I was like doing that Greek, I was like, that's going to sound bad. Um, It is what it is. I didn't write the Greek. Um, See, now you're paying attention. Uh, Didn't think you'd ever hear that from the stage. Uh, The Greek word is, I'm not going to be able to say it without you laughing, is mofo, and it means uh, to be transformed in nature and character, to be transformed in nature and character. And Paul uses it in its way that it's it's most commonly used um, with the image of the way a child is formed in a mother's womb. And so he creates this beautiful image that as part of being believers is to be formed like a child is formed in a mother's womb. Isn't that amazing? That, that God has this message in this, this process in which he is forming you. And then in the, second, the first passage we read, it says to be transformed. And this word, which is not, does not sound like a bad word, um, is uh, it, it is metamorpho, metamorpho, and that's where we get our word metamorphosis, right? 
The way a caterpillar is transformed into a butterfly, or the image I like to imagine is the way a seed is transformed into a tree. You have this little bitty seed that goes into the ground, and, ex- and, and over time, it literally takes on uh, a new form of a tree. It grows, and it and expands, and then it begins to produce its own seeds and fruit. And this is the vision. These are the words in which the New Testament used to describe the process that, that, that the gospel holds out for us, that our lives can be renewed, they can be restored, and they can be transformed into the image of God and into who you were originally created to be before sin and before the fall. But this transformation is not purely a surface-level transformation. This isn't just, just pretending or performing. See, the, the, the formation of Christ is not about performance or production. When we read the Gospels, we find that, that God's transformation in us is about fruitfulness. It's not something that we put on or that we pretend to be. But as our lives are beginning to be changed, we begin to produce the fruits of in our lives. And yet I think so often our modern ways of discipleship and of formation have shifted from deep internal grace-driven change to a more shallow, external, man-driven change or behavioral modification. See, as a parent, if my kid is acting out, I will immediately want them to change their behavior. Not a bad thing, right? If my kid is punching his sister, right? Stopping him from punching his sister is a good thing. Everyone agree? Okay. All right. So modifying his behavior is a good thing. But it doesn't stop there as a parent. My job is not just to modify my child's behavior. It's to transform their hearts where they want to not hit their sister, right? And so this transformation is not that I just, you know, change my behavior, but I actually want to do and be the things in which I'm doing. And yet I think so often we settle for just changing our behavior, yet Jesus-centered formation aims not at controlling our actions, but transforming our hearts. One of my favorite quotes and simple quotes from Dallas Willard is, Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. And I find myself praying that often and regularly, Jesus, make me a Christian in my heart. One that truly loves, that overwhelms with peace and kindness towards others in my life. And I have found today that it's not that I don't want to change or that as I work with you and walk with you in this road of faith that you don't want to change. I find that most of us want to experience change in our lives, but that I found that we have little direction on how to grow in Christ amongst all that is forming us in our lives. And not only that, we have, can you still hear me? Thought I went out. Not only that, but we have a lack of examples 
of models in our life. I know there was a point in my life where I had been in the church majority of my life and I actually had been a pastor for four years. And I remember I was frustrated because in, in spite of the fact that I grew up literally sleeping on pews because my, my parents were on the worship team, and I grew up hearing sermon after sermon and going to camp after camp, that there were still things in me that had not been reached by the gospel. There were things that were, you know, I was still just as selfish. I was still just as angry. I still had these things in my life that were unformed and untransformed by the gospel. And when I looked around, I saw the same within the church people that literally had spent their whole lives in the church and around the church and, and were still just as mean and just as self-centric and just as hard at the end of their life as they were at the beginning. And I began to ask the Lord, Lord, how do I change? Because what I'm doing is not working. And then when I even looked further to the Christian examples, the pastors, the ministers, the leaders, the teachers of our day, I saw them burning out. I saw them flaking out. I saw them falling into sin. And I desperately longed to see and experience the transformation promised in the Gospels by Christ that I could become a new creation. But I didn't know how, and I think many of you find yourselves there today that you desperately want to change, to be a better expression, to grow more like Christ, but how? And you've lacked examples and lacked models of how to do that. And I think in some ways we've lost vision of being anything more than what we are, dysfunctional. We've lost hope. We've settled, not hoping much for any progress, if anything, in Christ's likeness. I think in our misunderstandings of grace and mercy that we actually plan more to fail than to be formed. But Christ's vision of salvation was that you would be renewed redeemed and restored. While most of us want to change, I think we've also given very little thought to how we change. We kind of take a fatalist approach. You know, it reminds me of Popeye. Do you all know who Popeye is anymore? Any Popeye lovers? Um, you know, the reason I eat spinach today. Um, you know, he had this saying, I am what I am. You know, I kind of, there's no change in it. I just yam what I am. And that's kind of how I think sometimes we take our approach to life. Like, well, you know, I am what I am. There's no changing it. You know, it's outside my control. And so we take somewhat of a fatalistic approach. And most of our approaches are to formation and growth is, are unconscious. They're unintentional. They're more based on our cultural norms than scripture. And thus, I think that they have varying results in our lives. Like I said earlier, there's no accidental saints. So the question is, how do we become like Jesus? So I've tried several different things in my journey of pursuing Jesus uh, that have not worked. 
these are losing strategies, if you will, in, in, in becoming more like Jesus. One, when, you know, I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to will myself, determine myself to be more like Jesus. Has that worked for anybody yet? Like, how many of you have said, you know what? I, I lost my temper. I totally was, was harsh and mean, and, and I, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. I determined today I am never going to lose my temper again, and I'm going to uh, try harder. I don't know about you, but that has not worked for me. You know, I'm going to be a more loving person. I'm never going to look at that again. I'm never going to do that again. And we try to will ourselves to change. And the problem with that is that that does not work against the, the deepest ingrained habits of our lives and sins that control us and enslave us. We cannot will, and I, I tell you, that you cannot will or, or determine your way into change. I've tried it doesn't work. You're welcome to try it. It's a losing battle. Second, I cannot perform. I cannot perform or be overly active my way into discipleship or formation. This was the second thing I tried. I entered the church and they said, all right, you want to be a disciple, serve, right? Not against that. That's a good thing. Please serve. It's important. It's a part of being a disciple. And, but then I began to say, hey, if you want to be a disciple, you kind of do more and more and more and more and more, and you come out a disciple. And so I filled my life with Christian activities and products and, and, and busyness, and, and, and I thought that someday I would wake up, Waha, I'm a saint. Let me tell you what happened. It did the opposite effect. I got so burned out, and I got so busy that the peace of God and the love of God kind of got pushed out of my life. And I became more and more less of what I want to become rather than becoming more like Christ. So activism did not form in me. And I believe that activism actually can be a great threat to our discipleship because it has a way of pushing out our intimacy and connection and, and relationship with Jesus. And that is the source of our peace. That is the source of our formation. And the third tactic I tried was information. If I just learn more, if I just read more, if I just consume more podcasts and sermons, then maybe I will change. And Dallas Willard says this, he says, we have counted on preaching, teaching, and knowledge or information to form faith in the here. We are on information overload as Christians, as people in the Western world. And no matter how true that information is, information alone cannot transform you. Now, don't get me wrong. Information is incredibly important. Informing and shaping how you think but see, you can have information, but it not change the way you think. 
Have you ever experienced that? You can have information, but it not change the way you see things. Information alone does not change. And I think we've over-relied and counted on preaching, teaching, and information to form faith in the here. And yet it is insufficient in doing so. These are the ways I've tried and have been insufficient in forming Christ in me. So the question that we seek to answer is, then what are the right ways? What are the ways that we are formed in Jesus? So to become like Jesus is this. One, it is a process. To become like Jesus is a process. To journey. And this is so incredibly important. Like I said, I would love it if I just woke up, bam, instant disciple. I set my mind to it. The next day, I became it. That would be great, wouldn't it? Instant discipleship would be wonderful. But that's not the way it works. It's a process. It's a journey. And the way, as soon as we begin to understand this, we begin, begin to understand a really important truth. And that's that if formation is a process, then all of life becomes a part of that journey. All of life becomes a part of what forms and shapes us. As I said earlier, formation is not a choice as much as it is a reality. All the things of life are already forming you and have formed you, shaping you either towards God or away from Him. All of life becomes a part of your formation when you understand it as a process. And it can either be something that we meet God in or that we allow us to push us away from God's heart and his leadership in our lives. And I found in my own life, and we see it here in a moment in Scripture, that Christ has formed most in me through pain Sorrow, suffering, and waiting. Through the hard times of life, it's in those moments that I have experienced the deepest and most transformative formation of God in my life. And I know that that's not what we like to hear, but let's read this passage from James 1, 2 through 4. It says, Consider it sheer, a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. And I love this part. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Think about that for a moment. <laughs> so don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work. So you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. See, spiritual growth is modeled, modeled in the pattern of the physical world. It's modeled after the nature of physical growth. Yes, there are seasons. My, my, my teenage, preteen, 11-year-old preteen, right? My 11-year-old preteen daughter, she's going through one of those seasons of extreme growth where you wake up and be like, we just bought you those pants yesterday. 
how are you almost as tall as your mother? Like, it's so hard to believe, right? She's in that season where it's like from one day to the next, it's like she's becoming a young woman, and I hate every moment of it. Um, no, it's actually quite beautiful. It's just hard as a dad to see, to lose the little girl. Um, but see, our spiritual growth imitates the natural growth. And yes, there are seasons and, and spurts of growth, but most of it is unseen. Most of our growing is slow and steady and, and, and happens over time. And yet this goes against our nature because we expect immediate returns on our time, don't we? We expect immediate results. And I think so often we've given up on God. We've given up on the church because we didn't get instant results in our lives. But soon as we understand that formation is a journey, it is a process in which God is forming us, the more we can enter in into that formation. That growth comes slowly over time. And I think too often we've settled for something that is more instantaneous, gratifying, and comfortable. And we've avoided the things that are less satisfying initially and less comfortable. And that has left us with a less substantive character development in our lives. So what do we do? This is what, as we understand this, this is what I think we foster. And it's this. We take on or we're invited to look with holy curiosity for God in all things. We take on the posture and we're invited to look with holy curiosity for God in all things, choosing to stay. Choosing to stay and engage. How easy it is when we go through a trial or a tough circumstance or we're in a relationship in the church that, that is challenging or unrewarding that we just check out. We distract, so maybe we don't physically remove ourselves, but we mentally, emotionally, spiritually disengage. And it's in that moment, I think so often, we miss out on the very opportunity that God has before us that he's wanting to deeply form in us if we will stay and engage. If we'll enter into the process, if we won't avoid things that are uncomfortable, we're not immediately rewarding. It's in that moment, if we'll look and we'll turn and we'll wait and we'll stay, that God can form something in you and in me. So choosing to stay, engage, and return to the slow, steady work of Jesus forming life in you. To return, because it is so easy to get sucked into, oh, well, this is immediately satisfying. And I think in church, it's, you know, and I, I, I'm sorry for this, that so often we've put forth something that immediately makes you feel good, but has very little substantive faith development. And what I want to encourage you to do is to dig in, to stay, to engage sorrow, hardship, pain, challenges, discomforts in a way that is trusting that in this thing that God is working something in you to stay in the waiting. So to be formed, to become like Jesus, one, is a process. Two, 
It's a process of being formed by the Spirit. Spiritual formation is uh, not a process of forming ourselves, although I wish that was the case, but one of being formed. It's one of relenting control and allowing something else to form in you um, faith and development. It's the great reversal. Uh, in his amazing book, Invitation um, to a Journey, Robert Mulholland said this, it goes from acting to bring about the desired results in our lives to being acted upon by God and responding in ways that allow God to bring about his purposes. See, his grace, his mercy, not only saves you, but it is actively sanctifying you. His grace, his mercy is not only saving you, but it's actively sanctifying you, redeeming you, recovering you. In Romans alone, Paul 35 times says that this righteousness, this work that God is doing us, 35 times he says, is a gift from God. Not something that we can do in and of ourselves. We read a couple weeks ago in John chapter 15 about abiding in the vine. He goes on to say that apart from him, apart from his divine presence, we can do nothing. That this is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And thus we return to the centrality of the work of the Holy Spirit forming us and this necessity of practicing his presence, of being with him, of trying to walk in step with the Spirit as we live our lives. That that is key to if we are ever going to change, if we're ever going to experience the transformation of, of, of the work of God in our lives is that we have to live lives with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And it is his work. Being with him is critical, is critical to becoming like him. But as soon as we grasp this understanding that the work and the transformation done in our lives is a work done by the Holy Spirit and by God, and that there's nothing in and of ourselves that we can do, there is a, a danger that we can have and a critical error that we can make in the opposite direction. And that's this, we are tempted to believe there's nothing we can do. See, this conclusion, I believe, has led to a great spiritual paralysis amongst the church and Christians. It's led to a, 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 a feeling like, I, I, okay, if, if God does everything, then I do nothing, so I'm just going to sit here All right, God, whenever you're ready, I'm just going to do nothing. Wait for you to zap me. It's led to a, a, a checking out, if we will, in our own discipleship, a, a misunderstanding of how God works in our lives. And this is a great error. This, com confusion, this confusion, I believe, has led to an idleness in the modern church in engaging God in our formation. I love this passage in Philippians 2. It says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act to fulfill his good purposes. Do you see it? Continue to work out your salvation 
for it is God who is working in you. There's this collaboration with the Holy Spirit in our lives in his formation of our faith. Transformation is something that happens to us, but it does not happen without us. Transformation is something that happens to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, but does not happen without you. I I love how Dallas Willard said it. Yeah, it is true that without God, you can do nothing. But if you do nothing, trust me, it will be without God. Isn't that good? In Galatians 6, 8, it says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. As many of you guys know, I'm a gardener. I was raised on a farm. And I love this analogy. Because I know that I cannot cause things to grow. As hard as I would like to try, as much as I wish I could, the reality is I cannot grow things. But I can create the conditions, the environment, in the soil and in the garden where life and growth can happen. See, the work of God is he is the one that brings the growth in your life. He is the only one that can transform your heart, that can change you. But here's what you can do. You can create the conditions, the, 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 the responsiveness to God in a way where you're creating the environments for that growth. Isn't that encouraging? That, that he is doing a work and he's collaborating with you to bring about that change in your life. And so the third thing is we become like Jesus as we take intentional action to cultivate this formation in our lives. As we take intentional action to cultivate this formation in our lives. So if you do a quick survey of the teachings of Jesus, it will reveal that he seems to assume that living in his way is going to require practice or training. Jesus uh, has one section in the Gospels where it is his longest standing teaching. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And so he over, over three chapters he's teaching. And li- look at this. He both bookends, he starts and ends the Sermon on the Mount with these sayings. Starting in Matthew 5, it says, Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of God. Do you see it there? Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great. And then Matthew 7, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into what? Practice. is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. See, Jesus doesn't leave us in a place of, okay, God, I'm just waiting for you to change me. But he gives us means, ways, practices in which we cultivate the powerful, transformative work of God in your, my, my life. See, it's about practice, not performing. It's about practice, not performing. It's about training and not trying harder. This is how God forms us. This is how he works in our lives 
to transform us more like him. So what are these spiritual practices? What are these means that help form our lives? It's important to realize that they do not earn us favor with God or measure our spiritual success. I think so often in the church, they've been used as spiritual measurements for how godly you are. But rather, they're exercises that equip us to live fully and freely in the presence of God. And God works with us, giving us grace as we learn to grow. The the Desert Fathers in the early church used to call this the common grace. You see, the common grace is the grace that goes with us in our daily lives, that meets us in the moments of chaos and challenge and hardness of our lives, and it helps form us. And that's what the practices do. They open us up to the common graces of God that he has for you, not just to save you, but to sanctify you. And these practices are many and varied. They're modeled in scripture and taught throughout church history. But they're all for facilitating the present work of the Holy Spirit. They include things like Sabbath, solitude, prayer, meditation, hospitality, scripture, fasting, confession, celebration, and I could go on forever. And they're gifts of joy in our lives because they bring about freedom and they bring about peace into areas that we could not bring it to ourselves. So as we close, here's how it works. Sam's struggling with anxiety. And I'm like, man, I'm just going to stop worrying. All right? That's normally how I try to fix it. What's so stupid? Why am I worrying? Stop worrying. It's fine. It's going to be fine. And anxiety just keeps creeping up in my heart. And it's just, I can't seem to self-will my way to quit worrying or to being anxious. And so I say, God, I'm going to meditate on your word. And I I think about passages like Matthew 6. It says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more loved than the birds? And I sit there, God, I believe I'm more loved than birds. And yet you provide so bountiful for them. So God, I just, I just sit here and I just, I just sit in that word. And then maybe I think, well, okay, yeah, but you know, I'm worried, so my my tendency is to take control of the situation. All right, I'm going to fix this. God says, I want you to Sabbath, which is a discipline that forces me to stop and to rest on God's faithfulness to me. And by doing this over and over again, it begins to train my heart into trusting the Father's care for me. It begins that I'm not just like forcing myself not to worry. I'm not just saying, well, I'm a, I'm a good believer. I don't worry. But I'm actually interacting and collaborating with the Holy Spirit to form in me and then to form out of me the character and nature of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? 
stand up with me as we close in worship. So to become like Jesus is a process of being formed as we intentionally take action to cultivate his work in our lives. And I hope that that is a gift because I know that so many of you, if you're like me, you felt stuck, right? I want to change. I know I need to change. I don't know how to change. And God, it just seems like I go to church and it doesn't make a difference. It seems like I do this over and over again and I just keep doing the same thing. Here's the good news, guys. God didn't just promise you that he would transform you, but he's provided the means for that transformation. And he's provided the ways in which you can cooperate with the Holy Spirit in your life so that it's not something that you just self-will yourself to do, but that through the power of the Holy Spirit, he can be formed in you. And so I pray this over you as my closing prayer. And as Paul prayed this over the, over the Philippine, uh, Philippians church, he said this, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. God, I pray over our church today that their confidence would not be in themselves and their ability to bring about the change, but Lord, that they would have a renewed hope this morning, a renewed confidence that you will bring about that change. Amen. Thank you.